0: I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Our guest today is CEO, Jennifer Huey. As president and chief executive officer of BPI Sports, Jennifer was brought on in 2017 to help take this fast growing company to the next level. She brings with her a 20 plus year track record of successfully building teams, driving cost savings, improving efficiencies, and providing the leadership necessary to support top and bottom line growth. Jennifer received her Bachelor of Science in Accounting from the University of Illinois and her Executive MBA from the University of Notre Dame. Jennifer Huey, welcome into the corner office.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Oh, it's great to have you on board. And, you know, we're going to have a conversation today about your past and your journey into the corner office. And I always kind of like to start with the early years. Can you tell me a little bit about what it was like growing up as a kid? What part of the country were you in? What did your parents do? Tell us a little bit about that part of your life.
1: Sure. Um, I grew up in Illinois. I always say about 20 minutes from St. Louis because nobody has any idea where my town is. So that's the, easy, that's the easiest uh, landmark. Um, my dad was a civil engineer. My mother was a school teacher. So I think from an early age, you know, they encouraged us, my sister and I, to be um, very active and always encouraged us to do basically anything that we set our minds to do. So, you know, was very involved in sports, athletics. Um, played the piano, played golf, tennis. We swam. You know, we did just about you know, all the things that, that young kids do and, um, definitely, you know, tried to excel at school as well and did excel at school. So that was something that, um, they definitely put a lot of focus on also.
0: Awesome. What were some of your favorite sports as a kid growing up?
1: Um, you know, I, shockingly enough to everybody, I love playing golf. I started playing golf when I was about seven. Oh, that's awesome. Um, one, it's one of my, my hidden talents. So I love to, uh, go out to the golf course with colleagues or with even my dad who I golf with quite a bit and, and have people roll their eyes when they see a girl pull up and then <laughs> are always a little bit shocked when I tee off. So um, it is one of my secret talents, I like to say, but I still play golf um, as often as I can. Growing up, we learned how to ski. And then later in life, I, I switched to snowboarding, but definitely had a very, very active uh, childhood and still am active as an
0: adult. Are you, were you a, are you a scratch golfer
1: um that is hilarious um i wish i was a scratch scratch golfer um but i you know when i play enough my my handicap is in the mid-teens so you know not not awful but definitely not, not scratch <laughs> yeah.
0: and has that played an important part of your career as uh, it's progressed along i know you weren't you know in a lot of sales positions kind of coming up through finance and supply chain but was golf important to you in your career or has it been you
1: know what's funny? It actually has. I think um, the misnomer is that in supply chain you're very much in an operational role. But right. as a supply chain um, person for the last, you know, in that field for the last, you know, fifteen years, sixteen years, I actually had a lot of involvement with the sales team. So once they got word that I actually played golf, somehow, miraculously, I was invited to many golf outings. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, you know, I always say that uh, for me, golf is one of the best um, methods of doing business if you're outside of an office setting. I I, I always joke, but you are trapped with that person for four to five hours or those, you know, those people, that customer. So I really think that it's a great way not to only get to know um, your client or your customer, but it's also a great way um, to have fun as well. So you, you definitely are, are trapped in a card. I used to say that when we were, when we were kids as well, like, you know, you're forced to be with your parents for two to four hours essentially. So it's a great, it's a great time to spend with somebody and really get to know them on a different level. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And you mentioned music. Yeah. Was it piano that was your instrument? as growing? I
1: did. I did. I played piano growing up, which is shocking to a lot of people as well. Um, but played the piano throughout my childhood. I think I started when I was five, five or six years old. Um, and actually took piano lessons when I was at the University of Illinois, oh, believe it or not. Cool. Um, yeah, it was kind of a fun thing to do. It was uh, a crazy easy A, to be honest. But it was... <laughs> it was <I laughs> hey, those are good to lie. have. I'm not going to lie. It was, And it was a fun... It was just kind of a, a stress release for me as well. So played um, throughout my childhood. I actually as crazy as this is going to sound, participated in um, Illinois Junior Miss. That was my talent, was playing the piano. So yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely, that skill has served me well. I wish that I played uh, more often than I do as an, as an adult, but um, definitely played for many, many years.
0: Junior Miss. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: I I know. It's funny. Not not your typical pageant, so let's not go down <laughs> that path. Um, it really is a scholarship program. So Junior right. has been around for many years, a scholarship program for um, young women. And I signed up for the local pageant um, in my hometown. And there were, you know, a few of us, I think there were three of us that ended up going to the state level. Um, and it was an amazing experience, met a yeah. ton of amazing, amazing young women. And it was just this other kind of world for me for, for a period of time. But Definitely. Was that
0: during high school, Jennifer? Or what what how old were you?
1: It was. It was during high school. And the girl that I actually was from, the other girl that was from my hometown, she ended up winning. I think I came in second runner up or something. But um okay. yeah, but I it was a great experience um and had a lot of fun and just a different kind of outlet for me. And you know, I, I kind of like being on stage. It was great and fun and you know, performing <laughs> Performing the piano and doing all of that. And, you know, just again, a chance to, to meet a bunch of young women um, that were really talented. Awesome. Yeah, art.
0: Yeah. Was it just musical performance or were there other uh, presentations that you made? I'm not as familiar with the junior MISC. I think was
1: any kind of uh, essentially talent. So there were lots of people who sang, um, others who danced, played the piano as well, or other instruments. So it was that. I mean, there was, you know, there was again, your typical kind of pageantry, there was a bit of evening gown and, you know, all of that kind of thing. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was mostly focused on academics and on, you know, talent and things like that. Performance.
0: Great. What about entrepreneurial or leadership roles when you were younger? Any, uh um, you know, paper routes, uh, selling mistletoe at Christmas time, getting involved in some commercial activities, uh, working at retail, or etc. Tell us a little bit some of, about some of your, you know, uh, if any experiences uh, while you were in school working.
1: When I was in high school, I had a couple of different jobs. I was a lifeguard. I waitress at our country club, which was not a really great fit for me. I'm not going to lie. I'm not your best. <laughs>
0: um,
1: so that, that was short lived, but um, thank God they were all friends of the family that I was waiting on or they probably would have not tipped me at all. Um, so, <laughs> you know, I did, I was uh, in that. And then I did become a bank teller for a short period of time as a summer job as well. Um, and then in college I had a, you know, just a, a job through the university which was a crazy job. I was just describing to someone I actually um, made copies of articles that people needed at different universities because back then the internet did not exist. So I kind of am dating myself, but that's how crazy that was. But I think um, early on in high school, I, I didn't have much time for jobs. So I mostly worked in the summer, but during high school, I was very involved. I was I started out on the golf team, then moved into cheerleading, thought that that was Something that I needed to be a part of, which ended up being a great experience for me. As um, my senior year, I was captain of the cheerleading squad. Uh, my senior year, I was also um, president of the student body, so that was a great, a great experience for me as well. So definitely, kind of started that those leadership positions early. I would say, kind of in my in my life, and I think that led me down a path as I went to the University of Illinois. I got involved in a sorority, Delta Zeta. And after being in the sorority for a couple of years, I took on uh, leadership roles there. I was a VP of Pledge Education and then ended up becoming the president of the sorority. Yeah, cool. That's
0: yeah. a lot of student government and leadership roles.
1: Yep. Yep. So, were you as
0: a good student through your high school and junior high school years?
1: I was actually. I, um, on a roll, you know, all of that um, received some, scholarships, um, you know, for my academics is going into the University of Illinois. So, um, definitely uh, excelled at that, obviously went to a, you know, outstanding university in the University of Illinois and was able to graduate there with my accounting degree. So yeah, definitely, um, excelled at that. There were some courses that I excelled at more than others, obviously, (laughs) Uh, but yeah, I think, you know, the University of Illinois was a great, um, Learning experience for me, not only academically, but also I always I always joke that if you can you know manage a house of 150 women, you can manage just about anything.
0: So <laughs> any organization. You can manage just yeah. about
1: any organization for sure. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You mentioned your dad was a civil engineer. Was was mom stay at home or did she also work?
1: She stayed at home for um, a few years when we were growing up, and then she actually she was a teacher prior to having my sister and I, and then she ended up going back to teaching um, when we were in about the third grade. And she actually taught at the, I went to a uh, Catholic grade school. So she taught there. So that was kind of very convenient. Um, And so she taught, gosh, I probably retired when she was in her early, early sixties to mid sixties. So.
0: So you and your sister, you're the younger or the older?
1: I am actually the older sister by about 18 months. So. Okay. We are, a we are close
0: relationship there. Did, did your sister kind of follow in your footsteps or take a different path?
1: She actually took a different path. We are extremely close. She um, has three beautiful, beautiful girls. So, my nieces, I'm extremely close with. Um, but she took a path and she became a teacher like my mother. Um, and she was kind of more in a special ed education role. And then she started having children at a young age and kind of stepped out of the workforce um for many years is, and has kind of gotten back into it in the last 5 doing more um kind of entrepreneurial and consulting work around design and things like that. So she's she's and you, very, and you enjoy very being
0: creative. an aunt, I'm sure.
1: I do enjoy being an aunt, absolutely. <laughs> it's one of my my greatest pleasures for sure and I see them I see my family as often as I can, usually sometimes once every, you know, 3 to 4 weeks. So we are we are extremely close.
0: Right. And do you have children of your own?
1: We do not have children. We just, we have our dog, Julia, who is a uh, three-year-old little toy golden doodle, who is some days, I, I don't know what I would do without her. So she is kind
0: of,
1: <laughs> she is, she is definitely,
0: of family for
1: she's definitely a very spoiled, spoiled dog.
0: Now, you mentioned uh, you've gone to school, went to school to uh, Champaign-Urbana. Was that kind of a location uh, decision, given that it was close to home? Was that, you know, the the attraction of the accounting program there? Tell us a little bit about your decision about that university.
1: I think it was a mixture of things. I actually went and looked at multiple universities um, throughout Illinois and Indiana and um, I went to the University of Illinois, and I just really fell in love with it. I love the campus. Yeah, I love beautiful
0: campus. I've seen it.,
1: yeah. yeah, it's beautiful. And I, as crazy it is, I loved the size. It was big, and I loved everything that that kind of had to offer. And, it, you know, it was definitely close to home. It was definitely drivable. So that was a plus as well. But at the time I went there, I really didn't know exactly what I wanted to major in. so, yeah. Um, it just so happened that their, you know, accounting finance department there is so outstanding, and that's the path that I chose.
0: Did you declare business as a major when you arrived, or was it a school where you could, you know, do a couple of years of general education before you had to make that decision?
1: I did, and I I made that decision. I think I believe in my sophomore year was when I made that decision, and then and then moved over to the um, school of accountancy. So,
0: and what uh, what kind of influenced that? Was there, you know, kind of a, a strong uh, showing in math and in numbers? Did you have an inkling towards finance or accounting at an early age? Can tell us a little bit about your thought process and choosing that as a major.
1: Um, I think it, I really did excel at math and I loved that whole aspect um, of education. So it was just kind of a natural fit as I started to learn more about kind of the accounting and finance roles. Um, it was really, it really fit with what I like to do. And I always say it's, at the time, I didn't know where my career obviously was going to take me, but I, you know, thank God every day that I did go down that path because it is the best foundation that I think anyone can have, be it a CEO or, you know, not a CEO, you know, at any sort of leadership level. I think having that basic understanding of finance accounting this is critical and I, I use it every day in my, in my career for sure and it just, it, it actually brings a whole other element to um, to kind of my, you know, what I bring to the, to the job. I would, there are a lot of people who, you know, don't understand, um, the basics of accounting and finance, and it's always great for me to, to help educate them, but it, it makes a huge difference when you have a sales team or even a marketing team that really understands the basics, um, of accounting and finance.
0: Yeah, being able to read a balance sheet and understand a P&L is a pretty important part of running a new business.
1: It sure is, absolutely.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, you went on for your executive MBA. Now, uh, did you work coming straight out of uh, uh, University of Illinois or, or did you go straight to Notre Dame for your uh, MBA?
1: No, I actually worked for um, quite a few years. I was lucky enough out of uh, the University of Illinois to land. An awesome job at um, Quaker Oats. So I actually.
0: So that was your first job. That yeah, was Quake my Roads. very
1: first job yeah. at Quaker Oats Company, um, and. In
0: accounting, I presume, I or was, finance.
1: I was I was in their corporate accounting department, Um, and I laugh and I some of my best friends I met the first day that I that I worked there, and we all laugh to this day at the things that we were doing back then, just because so much was not automated. <laughs> we used right, to, you know you right. used to have to write memos and actually take them to someone's office and drop them off, so it was kind of funny. Um, and it was not that long ago so that's even crazier but uh, <laughs> it started off um, there and was at Quaker roads downtown Chicago for a couple of years and had an amazing experience there and great company, great company huge company and really kind of saw how things ran at this very very um, large you know fortune 500 company which was great and had a great experience in Chicago but then you know decided that if I was ever going to leave Illinois that was kind of the time for me to do it and I um, ended up going skiing with some friends and my sister in a small little town at the time called Park City, Utah, which I had never heard of.
0: Oh, yeah. Um,
1: and went out skiing and fell in love. And within about four months, I had moved out there and had gotten a job in Salt Lake uh, as a controller for a very small bottled water company. So awesome. Yeah. yeah.
0: So I went from this so very large. Started, co- stayed in the CPG. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Very large corporation under this very small you know, family-owned business where I could see really all aspects of running a business, which was quite exciting for me.
0: Thinking back to the jobs at Quaker, as well as the the uh, water company, what were some of the early leadership lessons for you, Jennifer?
1: Um, I think, you know, for me, it's about, it's always been about collaboration. It's always been about people, um, building those relationships with people, understanding kind of what makes people tick. Um, not only at you know work, but outside of work as well, um, and then really forming those those relationships to get things done. I would say so. I think you know that's something I learned early on, and, and I always have also had just this kind of curiosity about how things kind of how things work, right? So I ask I ask a lot of questions. Um, I've been known to take the longest plant tours in history. Um, so I know when I when I went to Bower Hockey, they were like, okay, you beat every record. Um, But I love, love to um, really understand um, from a manufacturing, from a process, whatever it may be, really how things work. And that's, that's really how I learn. And that's how I figure out where the opportunities are. You know,
0: Jennifer, it's interesting you mentioned that. We've had a number of our CEOs say that curiosity, along with a couple other characteristics, was a very important part of their career. Uh, Was that true when you were younger? Tell us a little bit about how that kind of evolved or developed, uh, maybe in your earlier years, and what did that look like?
1: Yeah, I think you know, I definitely have always been curious. I mean, about things and about how things work. Um, I think you know, growing up, my you know, we would go on. My dad would take us to you know, crazy places. You know, we would go to locks and dams and try to, you know, take us on tours of those kind of things. And, and I learned early on, like I always say, like the Mr. Rogers tours I loved and I still do. So I think, you know, that's kind of something that I think I learned early on is just that that curiosity about things and processes and how things are done.
0: So a little bit more about curiosity. So um, you, you'd mentioned that that was something that, you know, served you well uh, in your career. Uh, would you say that your most favorite question is why or what did the, what did the curiosity look like as it went through uh, as you went through your career?
1: I think why is definitely probably one of my favorite answer or questions. I would say why and yeah. how. Um, so I always am, am curious as to why things are done or how things are done. Um, and I ask that question often and I may ask it 16 times until I get to the, the bottom of the, you know, of the explanation. So I think right. there's always a surface answer, but that usually isn't the real why or how there's, there's usually, you know, those, there's many more whys to get to the real, the real root cause.
0: How do you think that plays out in your leadership style? What does that look like, you know, as it relates to curiosity and and how you manage and develop people?
1: Um, I think it actually uh, obviously it's something that plays, you know, a, a big part in how I manage people and how I lead um i am definitely not a leader that comes in and says this is how we're going to do it this is i've you know figured it out and now go do it um i'm more about again collaboration and talking to the extremely smart people that i have hired to be on my team or are on the team already um and really letting them um give me their expertise and their advice or explaining to me why we do things the way that we do them how we got to that point and then working together to figure out what is the best solution going forward.
0: Right. Right. And um, with regards to kind of the feedback that you get about your style, is that something that comes up uh, uh, either in a positive or negative way?
1: I I think absolutely. I think people really know that my goal is to uh, build this collaborative environment where we have a very team-based focus um, and people feel very safe to be able to voice their opinions or to say to me, you know what, that's the craziest idea I've ever heard. Um, and this is why, and I think we should do this. So I I feel, I feel like I've always built a safe environment to have that collaboration and, and make sure that people feel like they can definitely speak their mind and, and tell me what their thoughts are or, or their opinions of things, because I do the same as well, you know, and I think that's something that's gotten me to where I am. I've never been um, a person who doesn't speak their mind or doesn't give, uh, my opinion, um, uh, maybe sometimes more vocally than, than I should, but I think, you know, in my career and, um, being a female in, you know, this very kind of interesting world in which we live, like you do really have to have a voice and you do have to make sure that you don't get, um, lost in the, in the shuffler or in the corner. So I think there is something to be said for that.
0: You mentioned the gender difference, and you know it's no uh, uh, <laughs> unknown fact that obviously the percentages of females in the in the middle office is growing, but it's still relatively small and underrepresented in the general underrepresentative in the general population. What what were some of the things that made a difference for you as you progressed in your career from you know position to position, and in how? You were likely up against a lot of males for the roles that uh, you were be considered specifically in supply chain. I've got a couple of questions I want to ask about that in a minute, but um, you know, how, how did you make that difference? What, what were some of the key components, actions you took, perhaps steps or, you know, uh, awareness that kind of helped you propel in a, in a pretty male dominated profession uh, as well as uh, a sector.
1: Um, I think, you know, First and foremost I had some really amazing mentors and some really amazing bosses that I worked for. Um most
0: men and women Most
1: of which were men. Uh, early on I think I had I definitely my first job I had a a female who was my boss and I had um you know some other females but definitely more so male than female I would say. Um but both sides uh definitely had just some really great mentors who believed in me and who uh Mm-hmm. At some point, you know, even when I was making the move from kind of that accounting finance world to operations, um, I made that move because I had a boss of mine that I had worked for in the accounting finance role, and then had gotten my um, executive MBA, and he was like, "Hey, I think you know, you've got these skills that I see that I think could be beneficial." in an operational role or in a supply chain role. And that's really how I made that transition. And I, you know, at one point looked at him and was like, you do know that I know very little about supply chain. And he was like, I don't really care. I just need you to get in there and help us, you know, (laughs) essentially, you know, I need you to come in and do what you do, which is see the issues, fix them, see the opportunities, you know, implement um, changes. So that's really how I got my got my start in, in operations. It was essentially a gift by somebody who believed in me and believed in what I could do.
0: You know, that mentoring is another real common characteristic. We hear that very often and, and, and probably, again, more uh, in females that have reached the corner office. It's interesting. And and again, like you said, the the, the mentors have been of both genders, but could predominantly be males and you know provide that of that gateway, right? Maybe remove some obstacles along the way. Now, you, you did a very interesting shift from, you know, kind of finance accounting to supply chain operations and then into the executive suite. Uh, tell us first about kind of the executive MBA, the decision around that. When did that happen in kind of your career transition?
1: I was actually working at Whirlpool when I decided to get my executive MBA, Whirlpool in Benton Harbor, Michigan is, is extremely close to South Bend, Indiana. And I had actually looked at Notre Dame um, at, when I was looking at schools for my undergraduate degree. And I'd always loved Notre Dame and thought it was a fantastic university and just had this opportunity to enroll in the EMBA program there. And it was a fantastic decision. Um, the school is.
0: Was that something that Whirlpool sponsored? It was.
1: It was something they had sponsored, but there were other employees that were in the program or had been in the program in the past. Um, and it was just, it was one of the best decisions I made at, you know, the, the education side was fantastic. I met a ton of really smart people while I was there. And, you know, Notre Dame is, is a fantastic university, great yeah, school, great school yep. um, lots of tradition and history. I love football. So it was, it was a, <laughs> it was a fabulous, <laughs> it was a fabulous couple of years, um, that I spent there and did, you know, did the executive program on the weekend, um, but really great professors. And it was a really great. Um, just learning experience overall. And, you know, we, and when I was think.
0: Was that before or after your transition of finance and accounting into supply chain and operations?
1: It was actually before. So I was still at Whirlpool okay. in, a, in a financial role there. Um, right. And, you know, it was just a great, it was really a great learning experience for me. And it was a very heavily based kind of accounting finance program. So, my other teammates, we had teams and you know groups that we, that we were with for the entire two years. They were, they were super happy that I did have that background because it was very heavily focused on that. But um, it was a great, great experience. And when I graduated from there about that time, I was um, that's when I was approached by my old boss at Whirlpool, who had gone on to be the CEO at uh, Electrolux, to come down and kind of consult and help him out for a while. Um, he had just gotten there and there were definitely, it was, it was a bit of a turnaround situation. So uh, I went down as consultant for a period of time and then ended up staying on and implementing kind of this strategy that I would put together um, for.
0: Now, is that when you did the pivot from finance and accounting to supply chain? Tell us a little bit about when that happened and why. It is.
1: I, I actually did a stint there where I was again, a consultant for about six months and he kept kind of reeling me in and saying, can you stay on, can you stay on? And I did. And then um, I put together a strategy for this customer service aftermarket sales team, which was a huge um, profit center for them, um, but just needed a, a bit of a different direction. So when I put that strategy together, he was like, can you stay and implement this? Because I have no one to do this. And I said, sure. So I I spent a brief period of time running the customer service and really this aftermarket sales team where we were involved in creating products and websites and, you know, really that that first foray into direct to consumer as well. So it was a really interesting um, kind of 12 months that I did that. And then slowly but surely, I started picking up more and more responsibilities for the supply chain area.
0: And they didn't do you think your curiosity kind yeah. of came into play yeah, there in terms of your I success? I think so. My
1: curiosity and just kind of my overall get it done kind of uh, attitude and, and you know, helping move the company in the right direction. i had had success implementing what I, you know, put together as a strategy for the customer service and aftermarket sales team. So then um, the CEO just said, hey, I think this is an area where we need your, you know, your assistance, your expertise to come in there and really set up this supply chain group that, wasn't a real formal group at the time. Um, and they had just made this huge shift from really US dominated manufacturing, to third party manufacturing, most of it had moved and most of it was moving to Asia, there was some that moved uh, facility in Mexico, but most of it had moved to Asia. So it was really this critical time in the supply chain for Electrolux because there was this big shift um, in how they did things essentially. So um, really set up that supply chain team and brought in a bunch of people that were there doing supply chain type roles, but really brought the whole team together um, into one supply chain group. Awesome.
0: And uh, it sounds like you were reporting directly to the CEO then. So, was that kind of your first step into the executive suite?
1: It was. It was. And, you know, while I was there, we had multiple CEOs. So, I reported to CEO probably half of my career, then to the CEO for the other half while I was there. So, um, it was definitely a, an interesting few years because I believe we had four CEOs in that time period so yeah it was it was a company that was definitely in lots of transition so I learned I learned a lot just from that to be honest in general just how you you know deal with different leadership styles and different um, expertise and backgrounds
0: what were some of those key lessons having those series of bosses over that period of time
1: um, I think you know for me every Every CEO that we had definitely at that company had brought a different set of skills or expertise level. Um, We had one um, CEO that had been had an amazing career and had worked at GE and all of these different companies. And um, he brought a lot of expertise and more kind of this um, calming kind of, this is what we need to do and kind of calm the the ship a bit for about, I think he was there maybe less than a year. Um, And then we had another person come in Um, who definitely was very focused on team. His big um, acronym was FAT, which was Focus, Accountability, and Teamwork, which I still use to this day because I think those three um, attributes are so key. And, you know, he really was all about building a team, um, building this focus around the company and making sure everybody understood what the focus was and what the strategy was, and then really holding the people accountable to that. Um, And he was an amazing leader and uh, had sent a bunch of people in his past careers to this leadership program out in Las Vegas um, and called Rapport, which I think is an amazing, uh, amazing uh, organization. And so we sent probably a hundred people in the organization to this leadership training, which truthfully made a huge difference in the company, made a huge difference to, you know, how we all work together and, and how we communicated and just how we behaved overall, not only, From a work perspective, but it also had a profound impact on people personally, also. So I think that was kind of, I I really feel like that was a turning point in my career as well.
0: Yeah. So, when did you begin to aspire for you know the CEO slot yourself? Is that something you've always kind of had your eyes set on? Did you kind of take each job as it come with that kind of a general direction in mind, or or was this uh, you know more opportunistic later on in your career stepping in? Because I I believe this is your first CEO's uh, job, correct?
1: It is correct. Yeah. With
0: BPI Sports. Yeah. So I think
1: you know, early on, I think I always knew that I would love to be CEO of a company. Um, I didn't know how quickly that was going to happen. I can remember when I interviewed with Glambia, you know, somebody asked me, what's your five to 10 year plan? And I said, I would love to be CEO of a company. I mean, that was something I definitely um, had focused on early on, I would say, or at least, you know, a good 10 years back in my career. Um, But I think, you know, some of my, jobs that I've had and my positions that I've held over the years have been more just kind of in the right place at the right time, working extremely hard, doing well in what I was doing, which is kind of something I learned early on. You know, that's kind of how I live my life and how I've always managed my career, that if I work hard, I treat people well, I do, you know, the right things that good things will happen and good things will come. And that's how I've lived my life and my career. And that's, that's kind of what's happened. And I really have been super Super lucky and blessed and, you know, extremely um, lucky to be here at BPI and, you know, found this position through a friend that I had worked with prior and he hooked me up with him. And I ended up, you know, being the president and CEO of BPI, which was something I, I wasn't looking for, you know, hadn't really thought about it, just kind of landed in my lap.
0: It is, it is interesting how, you know, kind of career shifts can be that combination of, of luck and hard work, but sometimes you have to make your own luck as well. Did, did you feel that, you know, there was a point in time where, you know, you were kind of pushing on your career in a certain direction or did things more kind of fall into place for you as you progressed?
1: Um, I think, you know, there's probably been points in my career where I've definitely pushed. I think obviously when I've made transitions from company to company, that's definitely a push on my part um, either just realizing that it's time for me to look for my next opportunity, next challenge, um, you know, next way to kind of expand my career. Um, so I think that I've always, you know, been looking for that, um, as I've progressed, but I think some of it has been luck, um, for sure. But, but when I talk about, you know, pushing, I, I always say when I'm mentoring or talking to people or, you know, people are asking me for advice. I always say, you know, you, you are the only person truthfully that, is responsible for your career. You could say that your bosses or your mentors are and all of that. But, you know, at the end of the day, you are the one who's in charge of your career and your career path. And either, you know, you take charge of it and you figure out where you want to go and, and, you know, what that end game is, or, you know, you can just let things happen, but sometimes just letting things happen doesn't work. So I think I definitely have been probably more vocal at different points in my career too, to say, Hey, I, I see this opportunity or I'd love more responsibility or I'd love to take this on. Um, I've never turned down an opportunity when somebody says, hey, we're going to give you, you know, this other department to run. I've never said, nope, sorry, not going to do it. So,
0: uh,
1: I'm always again, it goes back to kind of that curiosity and, and learning that different aspect. I remember when I was at Clandia and early on. Um, you know, they said, "Hey, we're going to give you customer service," and I was like, "Fantastic!" Nobody else really. Everybody was kind of shuffling it around, and I was like, <laughs> "You know, that's perfect." It actually is a perfect fit for the supply chain because I think customer service is kind of the the in in part of our supply chain. So, for me, I always have always accepted and said, "You know, give me more, give me more," um, throughout my career, and, and that's kind of and more embraced well, it. Yeah, just really embraced it for sure.
0: Yeah, cool. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about people. Um, You know, you've obviously had great people that have been mentoring you, I'm sure terrific peers. And now, you know, you run a a large organization. Uh, How many uh, total employees at BPI?
1: We have about 80 employees right now.
0: Yeah. So big team, five, six direct reports, I can imagine. And, you know, the diversity of uh, of various departments. Tell us a little bit about what you do or, or, you know, what do you look for when you're making bets on the people you invest in?
1: You know, it's interesting. I I really obviously look at a resume and, and understand, you know, what the person's skill set is and, and their background. And I always say, you know, by the by the time if I get somebody in here for an interview or throughout my career, I've, I've already looked at their resume or somebody's already vetted that. And so I, I take for, beta, you know, what they put on their resume, they're capable of doing, right? And I think, you know, right. skill sets speak for themselves on a resume or, or the recruiter or whatever they have to say about that person. I think for me when I'm interviewing somebody, once I kind of get past that first um, kind of look and say, okay, they've got the skills that we need. They've got the experience that we need. And for me, when I interview somebody, there is a bit of, let's review that, but it's really more about the fit. It's really about the person Mm -hmm. um, and, and who they are and what kind of makes them tick. So, and I think different companies need different things. I know I've worked at companies that are extremely, extremely fast paced and there's a lot going on and growth is happening. You know, at a really um, fast pace. And so, you know, I remember I would always ask people, you know, how do you work in an environment where you, you may work very autonomously, but very fast paced? How do you feel? Oh, I not a problem. And, you know, probably Mm -hmm. nine times out of 10, they would work. And then there was always that one person that you were like, yep, I I told you it was really like this. (laughs) I I wasn't lying. (laughs) Um, So I think, you know, for me, it's really that fit is so important given whatever environment that, that I'm working in or whatever team I'm working with. Um, to really find Do that.
0: you find that you kind of do that interview preview, which, which it kind of sounds like you do, you know, here's what it's like here. Yeah. <laughs> is that part of what you...
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. I want people to understand. I mean, I think we've all probably had those opportunities in our in our careers where we walk in and we're like, well, this is nothing like what I thought it was going to be. Um, so I really try to lay out for people exactly, you know, as best as I can, what the environment is, what we're trying to accomplish, what that role was going to bring to... Um, to the company as well. And then really interview um, that way. I mean, I literally, you know, and I'm sure we've all had, you know, in within five to 10 minutes, I'm pretty sure if that person is going to you know. fit or not. I do. I know. <laughs> um, and I think yeah, that that's, yeah. that's typical for a, for a lot of, you know, people interviewing. But um, for me, it really is about that that fit of that person and, you know, the culture that we're trying to develop or drive.
0: Yeah, you know, it's so true. And, you know, in our recruiting practice, we spend a lot of time with our clients really getting to know them and their culture and doing one-on-one interviews, you know, in a 360 fashion to the person that, uh, you know, this person will report to because at the end of the day, you know, fit can be a very kind of nefarious thing. Some people may have very different views about what's important to succeed and others, you know, may have something that is even opposing and kind of compiling that and putting that together. Uh, You know, you've worked for a number of great companies Companies large and small. Uh, But what would be some of those common fit characteristics if you had to describe it that, you know, you kind of always look for depending, uh, regardless of what company you may be hiring for?
1: Um, I think, you know, for me, and some people have criticized this of me in the past, which, you know, I've kind of let that go a bit. But I always look for people who are, you know, kind of get it done kind of people, right? So there are a lot of people who can talk a good talk, and use very big words and, you know, impress people and, you know, all of that, which is fine. But I really look for the people who have actually done the work, who have actually either done it themselves or empowered and led people to do, do the things that, that are important for making a company successful. So I definitely like that, get it done attitude. Um, You know, I've had, like you said, I've had many different positions in small companies and big companies and, you know, not, never has anything been above what I, you know, needed to do. Even as CEO, I mean, BPI is not, you know, an extremely large company. So there are things that I'm like, okay, if that's what I need to do today, then that's what I need to do. And, and you know, and I think that's that's kind of what I look for in people. Like, I, I don't, you know, I don't want people to come in and be, like, oh, sorry, that's not in my job description. I can't help you with that. So it's really more, again, this collaborative. Um, type person who really will roll up their sleeves and just get things done is
0: kind of so how do you ask questions around that because you know that's a hard thing to get in a resume Um, you know are there specific kinds of Questions or, or kind of your best interview questions that you ask as it relates to the to the get or done type of mentality that you're looking for. I
1: think it's kind of coming back to that how or that why you know how did you you know people can write a lot of things on their resume, but for me it's really about the how, and then that really lets me know did they really do it or did they just you know put it on a piece of paper and it looks great. Um, So if they can you know if somebody can describe in great detail how they got something done, what the you know who did you have to pull together, what different departments, how did you you know. How did you get, you know, hit your timeline or whatever it may be? I think when they can give me specifics about um, certain events or things that they actually have on their resume, that's when I know, you know, okay, this person is for real and probably somebody that we need on the team.
0: You could probably tell how they communicate as well, yeah. right? When they talk about it, their level of passion and interest and whether or not they really did it or they had more of an objective or observer. Absolutely.
1: View and I think, you know, for me, passion is huge. Um, no matter what you do, you know, you could be working at a company and you could hate what they sell, but if you're passionate about it, regardless, you know, you there, that does come through, you know, or you maybe personally, I shouldn't say hate what they sell, but maybe you personally don't use that, but you can still be passionate about what you're doing and about the products because you know that there are, you know, all these people that are, that are excited about it as well. So I think passion comes through for me. Um, and is definitely key for me in an interview and in, you know, just the daily, the daily work life as well. So I think, again, sometimes passion can be misconstrued or people think of it, you know, in a different way, but I would rather have somebody be passionate than somebody just sitting there and not barely having a pulse. So passion to me shows that you really care about the company and what you're doing.
0: Sometimes for a specific job, an ounce of passion is worth more than a pound of brains. Exactly.
1: Exactly. (laughs) That is is one of the best sayings. You're exactly right.
0: Any favorite interview questions that you like to use, particularly with people that maybe, you know, are going to be directly reporting to you in your executive suite?
1: Um, You know, I always ask the question. I always like to. Well, I guess it goes both ways, too, but I always like to to ask the question about what what gets somebody up in the morning to come to work? Like what really excites you or mm. or what excites you about? I, I ask that when I'm on both sides of the table. Um, but I love to know like why people are excited about working at the company that they're interviewing. Like if I was interviewing somebody, mm. you know, what would get you excited about coming to work every day here at BPI? I, I love that question. Um, I love ask-
0: Kind of gets back to their passion, yeah, doesn't it? absolutely.
1: Exactly. And you know, for me, when I'm asked that question, you know, for me, it's about the people, it's about the company, it's about what we're doing. Um, that, that's really what gets me excited about coming to work every day. Um, and I think it's, I think it's true. I mean, you know, when people say we spend more time with people we work with than we do outside of it's, it's the truth. So I do want to have, and I do want to build, and I have always done this in my are really building these teams of people that feel, um, very passionate about not only the company, but about each other, right? And about what they're trying to get done, both both inside and outside of work, for sure.
0: Do you ever use any psychographic or psychometric tests when you're evaluating, particularly for final candidates and senior level positions, or do you go more on gut in the interview um, I process? think it
1: depends on the position. I think definitely in my career, and it depends on the company too. So some companies have more robust HR departments where, you know, HR programs where you definitely are going to have people, Um, do testing, especially if they're at that VP level or above, which I think is, is critical, because I think it does then really hone in on do they have um, not only the skills, but do they have the personality um, to fit the culture that we're trying to build as well. So I think, you know, some of those tests are are great. I've taken many tests in my career. uh, And, you know, I I always learn something (laughs) new about myself whenever I do take a test. But uh, I think, you know, it just depends on the size of the company. And again, the robustness of the, the really HR program.
0: Do you, do you use them at BPI sports? We
1: don't use them um, here yet. If we were hiring, I have a really great executive team, but if I was to go hire, you know, an executive level position, I definitely would, would have that person take, you know, take some, some tests for sure.
0: It's so helpful, particularly when you have very close, you know, calls in terms of final candidates and you really want to kind of get inside what makes them tick, understand behaviors, motivations, and more importantly, how they fit with you. Uh, With our C-suite search, we always make sure that the CEOs take the same tests as reluctant as they might be. But uh, I always have to explain that at the end of the day, unfortunately, a lot of CEOs tend to hire people a lot like themselves. And uh, I think we all have learned over time that having that diversity, not just in gender or, you know, racial background, but also in behaviors and motivations is a really important part of having that type of, you know, looking around corners, right? You don't want someone who's going to make the same mistakes that you do. Uh, And if you're, you know, certainly of the mindset that you don't mind hiring people that are smarter than you, having people that have that diversity in, in behaviors and motivations and competencies can be a real plus to a growing Absolutely. organization.
1: Absolutely. I completely agree with that. And I think, you know, people that want to hire people that are just like them, I, I kind of, I, I, that's not my mentality. I, I have always hired people, um, that are, I'm obviously going to hire some people that are, that have very similar skills or, or, you know, values as you, but I think finding those people that are more diverse and bring a different set of skills to the table is what makes any team great. And I always think you're the smartest yeah, of people absolutely. that you have around you as well. So I love hiring extremely smart people, people that are smarter than me. I love it. And, you know, every day <laughs> as we move into kind of different, um, realms and, you know, as we, the internet becomes such a huge piece of, of what everyone does these days from a selling standpoint, Um, right. there is a whole different skill set. And I am always amazed every day at, you know, the knowledge and the information that some of the people that we have working here have. And I'm like, I mean, I learn, I learn something new every day, um, for sure. So I think, you know, I always say we've hired all of you smart people for a reason, and and we are going to definitely use you <laughs> in that capacity.
0: Well, Jennifer, you've been very generous with your time. I have one last question. And, you know, we have uh, many people in our audience that are from middle market companies like BPI Sports and aspiring for their own C-suite or perhaps even the corner office. What would be some of the career and life advice that you'd give to someone maybe that's, you know, a decade or so? Uh, earlier in their career than you, but kind of has their eyes at some point in time to get there. You know, what are what are some of the key things that you would say are important for them to do as they progress towards their own corner office? I, I
1: always tell people to expand your resume as much as you can, meaning, and I don't mean literally, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, get as much experience as you can. So like I said earlier, if somebody offers you, you know, to take on more responsibility or asks you to take on Responsibility in a different area. I always would encourage that because I think expanding, embrace it, embrace um, it. expanding yeah. that skill set is super important. I also say expanding um, the types of companies that you work with it is super critical as well. I know mm. maybe that goes against some people's way of thinking, but I do think having diverse um, background from a company standpoint is also key. So I love hiring people that have been at multiple companies. I'm not talking about somebody who's a perpetual you know, job hopper every couple of years, but someone who has definitely um, different experiences and different um, perspective. So I think that was something that I have definitely, uh, has been valuable to me in my career is having a different set of companies that I've worked for and just learning from all of those companies. So I think that's something I look for when I'm hiring um, an individual. And I would say that's something I would encourage people to do. And I also encourage people you know, definitely take control of your own destiny a bit. Definitely, you know, speak up if you want, you know, additional responsibility, or you want a different role, you know, the only person that's going to get you there is yourself, or if you want to, you know, move to a different company, that's, that's up to you as well. So I definitely, you know, encourage people to take control of their own destiny. And I also encourage people all the time. And this was probably advice given to me a little bit later in my career. But I also think, networking from the standpoint of just meeting new people um, and using the context Mm that you have just to talk to people in different industries and, you know, talk to the people that are in those positions that you aspire to be in, I think is so critical. And what I have found in my networking is that people are extremely generous with their time. And I have learned to be generous with my time as well when people ask to talk to me or, you know, Give mentorship, you know, things like that. I think that that's so uh, critical when you are kind of early or even midway through your career to say, who do I want to, you know, who are these people that I aspire to be like? Let me see if I can, you know, find them and get a hold of them and, and pick the brains for 15 minutes. So
0: that's right. That's right. Like my mother's grandmother has always said, if you don't ask, the answer is no.
1: I- exactly. That's a, that is another good point. It's it's the truth. you know. You, yeah, what is the worst thing that somebody could say to you is no. So, okay, so you move on to the next
0: one. <laughs> <laughs> move exactly. on. Right.
1: So I think, you know, those, those are kind of, that's the advice that I give uh, a lot of people these days when they come, you know, to ask me for advice if they're at that crossroads in their career.
0: Well, Jennifer Huey, it's been a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you so much for telling us about your journey into the corner office. And uh, we wish you a very successful and ongoing career at BPI Sports as you take that business to the next level.
1: Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed, enjoyed talking with you.